Jesus' day, calling God Abba was completely unheard of. The disciples had grown up all learning to address God as El Shaddai, God Almighty, or Adonai, Lord. And they never would have dreamed of addressing God so intimately. It must have been both shocking and riveting for them. You see, when Jesus teaches us to pray to a God who is as close to us as our mother or father, he is inviting us into the holy of holies of his own intimate relationship with God. You know, back in the 1990s, I remember how very disturbing I found today's story from Jesus about this persistent widow and this rotten judge. Maybe it's troubled you as well. I mean, clearly somehow, the rotten judge is supposed to represent God, stand in for God here, but yet he seems to represent absolutely everything that God is not. This judge is unfair, capricious, and just plain hard-hearted. Doesn't this completely contradict the loving image of God as Abba that we just heard? And it was in seminary that a prof finally helped me to see that Jesus' point here is that if this rotten judge hears the pleas of that widow, then how much more? How much more? How much more will our loving God hear our prayers for what is right and good? And that insight was so meaningful to me that I actually wrote it down in my Bible. And that insight, by the way, came from Marcus Smooker, my prof. Page 906 in my Bible. In his life and ministry, Jesus models this deep, firsthand knowing of God that Jeremiah foretells in chapter 31 today. Did you hear that in verse 34? For they shall know me from the least to the very greatest, says the Lord. They shall know me. And we would be remiss not to notice that this knowing here of God is the same kind of sexual knowing that happens in a marriage relationship. The biblical knowing of Adam and Eve, of husband and wife. Jesus, you see, comes to invite us into a new covenant with God of profound intimacy and communion. And the language of this new relationship is prayer. Now, have you ever wondered how did Jesus himself actually pray? 
Well, we catch a little clue in Matthew 6.6 in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus tells us to go into our inner room, turn off our cell phone, set aside all distractions, and receive the reward of communion and connection with God. And it is this way of praying, by the way, that will be the focus of our prayer retreat this coming Saturday, to which you are all invited. During a 10-day prayer retreat at a monastery in Colorado last year, I met with an 89-year-old Trappist monk named Thomas Keating who has devoted his whole life to praying and to teaching other folks how to pray as well. And in your bulletin, you can see on the inside back cover how he compares our prayer relationship with God, our relationship to God, to one in which God slowly draws us and woos us from acquaintanceship to friendliness to friendship and finally into intimacy and communion. And along the way, if you look at the uh, characteristics or the expressions in prayer, we move from saying our prayers which is an important way to begin. And then we move to talking with God in our own words. And then we move to beginning to listen and receive from God. This isn't a one-way conversation, by the way. And then finally, we move to being with God in silent communion beyond all thoughts and words. That's what Psalm 46 is talking about. Be still, be still, and know that I am God. In Mary Oliver's poem, Praying, she puts it this way. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot. It could be a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together. And don't try to make them too elaborate. This isn't a contest, but a doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. Praying isn't a contest but a doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. Now, one of the things that Keating says is that what separates us often most from God is the idea or the thought that we are separated from God. We think of God as out there or up in heaven instead of the one in whom we live and move and have our being. 
And when we think of God as up there or out there, this turns prayer then into a time out from reality, something we just do on Sunday mornings or for those 10 seconds before a meal. But prayer is actually entering into reality more deeply and entering more deeply into God. In Luke 18, Jesus teaches us to pray always. I love that. Pray always. Now, is he telling us to uh, give up our day job? (laughs) Or is he telling us never to sleep? Pray always. No. He's telling us to live our whole lives in the loving presence of God. Kingdom Wi-Fi is available everywhere. And four simple words are often all we need. Wow, sorry, thanks, and help. Now, if you go to seminary, they'll tell you it's actually adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But I much prefer wow, thanks, sorry, and help. So maybe you're sitting there and thinking, okay, preacher, what would, what would praying and living in this way actually look like? Well, it's waking up this morning, and before anything else, giving thanks to God for this day, for God's grace, and for the precious gift of your life. It's noticing the scarlet sunrise. Did you notice it this morning? A bird in flight. It's noticing trees ablaze with autumn fire and whispering thanks to God. It's pouring milk into your cereal and praising God for the soil and the seed, for the farmer and the cow. Thank you. It's being, it's hearing the morning news and interceding on behalf of our world leaders. Help. It's being exasperated with that pain in the you-know-where colleague. (laughs) Have one of those? Or classmate. And sometimes it's praying, Abba, help. And if you've already blown it with them, it's praying, God, sorry. It's paying attention to the Spirit's guidance throughout the day. Are we listening? Speak up for what is right. Call so-and-so at East Chestnut. And then before we go to sleep, it's giving the whole day and the whole world back to God with our simple prayers of wow, sorry, thanks, and help. You know, a few years ago, a friend told me that her daughter was playing church at home and was praying the Lord's Prayer. 
But instead of saying, forgive us our sins, she said, forgive us our nonsense. (laughs) Forgive us our nonsense. And don't you think that prayer just completely delighted God and was the talk of heaven for at least several days? Because Jesus shows us that prayer with God is an infinitely gracious relationship. All we have to do is open our hearts and trust that God will be able to sort out our sense from our nonsense. Even our most fragmentary prayers are a delight to God. Think for a moment of some of our toddlers here at East Chestnut Street. You know, when they take their first wobbly steps, do we condemn them for not being able to run yet? No, we're delighted. Or think when one of these toddlers first speaks out our name, do we criticize them for not being able to speak fluently yet? Of course not. We rejoice. So much more. So much more more does our God rejoice when we pray. In a brief time of silence now, let us be still before God and notice how this morning have we been hearing God's still, small voice. And then let us respond by singing number 347 in our blue hymnal.